hey, it's Mike Honig with the Iowa University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, or USED, and we are very excited to bring you another episode of Disability Exchange. Um, we, we have crossed the state line for this episode, um, and we'll introduce our, our, uh, our guest very shortly, but first I'd like to ask our co-host from the USED to introduce herself. Hello, my name is Caitlin Owens. I work with Mike at the USED and I'm very excited for today's guest. Excellent. Well, I am too. Um, and our guest is Mel Davis, or Melanie. Um, she says she goes by either one. So kind of like Mike and Michael, I guess. Um, I got to know Melanie um, through a planning committee that I'm on, which we'll probably, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on um, during this call. We're um, organizing a four-state conference, and she's been a huge help, and so I invited her to come on and, and tell her her story today. So Mel is a second-year trainee at the Monroe Meyer Institute, which is in Nebraska, you said, and I'm going to shut up and let her tell us some more about that. Mel, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello. Uh, again, he called me Mel, so I'll just, everybody can know me as that. I am, as he said, a second year USED trainee at the Mineral Meyer Institute. Um, however, I am no stranger to that institute by any stretch of the imagination. I was a patient there as a child. I then started volunteering for their recreational therapy department at age 12. I did that until about 16 when they hired me on as a camp counselor for, this was a camp for varying levels of developmental disability. And then I did that until I turned about 17 and I went into their AmeriCorps program that was housed within the Institute, uh, was one of the first of its kind in the country to focus on disability related issues. I was the first member. I served for a year and a half then I moved on to Minnesota in 2005. It was not a move I wanted, but I just did it. I uh, lived in Minnesota for 12 years. While I lived there, I took partners in policymaking, which makes a lot of people happy. It's a leadership development program for people with disabilities and their families to create systems change. And by the time I turned 30, which by the way, I'm 35, by the time I turned 30, I realized I've hated every moment of living in Minnesota. And I said, I'm going to go home to Nebraska. So I've been back in Nebraska about six years, and it was the biggest goal I could ever make to get myself back into the Institute. And I applied for the USED program, and I got into the first year, and I was offered the opportunity to do it a second year. So here I am. Awesome. That's so great. And so can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself kind of in general, outside of your work with the USED? Um, who is Mel? Mel is, I live, eat, and breathe the disability movement. That's literally everything I do. People probably want to kick me out of the room, <laughs> but I can't help it. I volunteer for it's a dog rescue called Husker Wimes, and we work on like rescuing Weimaraners. I own a Weimaraner. They're a German hunting breed. He's actually my service dog, but he's on the verge of retirement with some health issues. But so that's kind of how I got connected there. I do some fundraising stuff, though I should say that was all pre-COVID. So that's on hiatus. I am on an access team for a group called Canine Commons, building accessible indoor dog parks across the country. 
I don't really know how I got involved in that except for a Facebook post. It's a thing. Dog parks aren't usually accessible. I am a board member for the Nebraska Assistive Technology Partnership. I'm a board member for a local group called Mode Shift Omaha, who their main focus is multimodal transportation within the city of Omaha. So there's a larger aspect of disability inclusion there. And I found that the organization really needed someone to represent that. And I said a lot and they said, could you please come serve on their board? And I'm sure Mike can relate to this. Once they find out that you have a voice, they kind of pull you into everything. Oh, yeah. So here I am. I'm on all kinds of stuff. I'm on a two different committees for a managed care organization um, within the state of Nebraska. So here I am. Just a little bit about me. So what what led you to be so interested in disability stuff? Um, I have multiple disabilities. My main disability is cerebral palsy. I use a wheelchair every day to do everything from A to B. I can walk, but it's not a functional skill. Um, I also have a hearing impairment. Most people don't know that. I have a mental health condition, which really didn't surface till I hit college because K through 12 education kind of keeps you all structured and everything's good and go, you know, so. Yep. I have that. Um, life just threw a lot at me and I wanted to make a change. So. And you're, you're definitely doing that. Thank you. So that's, those are my, my, my reasons for being at the table, but it's not what keeps me there. What keeps you at the table? Um, people listening to what I have to say. Uh, when you feel like you're being heard, you keep coming back. When I don't feel like I'm heard, I'll give them a couple chances to hear me, but then I step away and find another way. It gets too frustrating. Yeah, that sounds like both self-preservation, but also an effective like advocacy strategy, you know, st- stepping away and trying to figure out if you can find another in or another you know group who will listen or you know something like that like yeah it's cool i think we've all um most anybody with a disability somewhere along the way has gotten onto a a board or a committee or some type of um, decision-making entity that uh, where where a person has felt like being a token based on what you just said Mel, about you know if they don't listen then i i move on have you had that experience of feeling like a, a token person with disability on a board? Oh, yeah. Um, I won't name the names of the entities, <laughs> but I, I served on two centers for independent living in Minnesota. And both the centers said, well, you really have a great voice. You should come serve on our boards. And I really didn't know what I was doing. These were my first boards. And so any of those first board meetings, you're really lost. <laughs> Learning Robert's rules of order for one is hard. Uh, and uh, Usually I just kind of sat in the room. No one ever asked for my input. I couldn't read through the documents. It wasn't accessible documents for one. I'm real big on that. Mike knows that just based on how I send emails. Absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, when I found out that they just really wanted me there to fulfill a slot, I served out my year and left and that's probably good or good and bad, but I just, they weren't serving what independent living centers are supposed to be doing. So I left. Can you talk more about kind of like 
your process and or experience kind of finding your voice and like what you would tell, you know, a, um, you know, somebody who is, who is just getting ready to, you know, who is thinking about serving on a board, but feeling a little intimidated or somebody who's, you know, uh, doing it for the first time. Cause I, I hear a lot about, you know, kind of the Robert's rules of orders. And yeah, I mean, that's something that I think freaks out a lot of people, whether or not they have disabilities, you know. Um, two things for me, I guess. One, I ask a lot of questions. If they don't like it, that's not my problem. <laughs> I will ask questions that people don't think need to be asked, but it's worth asking. Second thing is, um, I when I get on a board, if they're talking in, in Robert's Rules of Order and I'm not fully understanding the process, they need to break that down. And if you, and the board itself needs to see that their board members aren't being able to be active and what's the reason, you know? So I guess I, I kind of flip it on them. Um, I know that sounds really strange, but I flip it on them. If you want your board members to be active, they need to know the process. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's great. And the other, other piece of how do they, how do people find their voice? I guess for me, my, I didn't have a choice. My parents said, if you don't speak for yourself, there's nobody else. I'm an only child. So I, you know, they kind of put me in a position of, well, you're going to be an adult and we're not going to be here. So figure out what you need to say and how to say it. And if you have to say it multiple times, so be it. Wow. You know, I was really curious about that, Melanie, because, um, we have a lot of discussions at the USAID and just in various places about what, you know, we can do all the advocacy trainings in the world, but a person has to have um, a desire to speak up and to be open to, to learning and to have that passion. And you clearly have that, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to, you know, you to come on the show to talk about this. And how, so you, you give a lot of that credit to your parents then as far as pushing you into saying, okay, you're going to have to speak up for yourself. All I can say is you haven't met them. <laughs> <laughs> if you think I'm powerful, you haven't met them. Um, my dad, he passed away about two and a half years ago, but he was a Marine. So it speaks to his training and what he learned in the military. You don't give up. Uh, my mom, she's a nurse. So she had to advocate for patients and then she was thrown a disabled kid. So they had to advocate for me and I was part of everything they did from, you know, they say the guideline is like 14. Well, I was involved at like seven. Wow. You know, I mean, I just, you're just there because you're their kid. They didn't have a babysitter. So of course I went to every meeting and I went to all the decisions. Maybe I didn't understand, but I was there. That's great. Can you talk more about that kind of experience of being so involved in like your own sort of like transition planning and just sort of planning in general? Um, I'm going to be as nice as I can about transition because it's a point <laughs> of contention for me. <laughs> so I didn't really have uh, a really good transition plan because those don't really exist. We all know people who struggle with services with that, but for one, my parents just said, you're going to these meetings. We have nowhere else for you to go. So if you just have to sit there and color in your coloring book, so be it. But you're going to be in the room. 
So I don't know. I don't, I don't know that my parents really made it out to be that I was the disabled kid. They just raised me as their kid. What do other parents do with their kids? They take them with them. I, I don't know. It was never pointed out to me that I was any different. We just finished um, a youth leadership academy. But I think a lot of the, the young people that, that we interviewed do not attend their IEPs or their meetings or, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I think it is a real tribute to your parents that from an early age, there, there was a statement made that you were going to be there. I, I have a, had a friend, um, some people on this podcast may have heard of him. His name was Tom Slater, and he was the founder of a, a group called the State Public Policy Group. And um, he was he learned to be a disability advocate, but he had been in the state Senate in Iowa and he'd been a lifetime advocate for other issues. And he said 90 percent of life is showing up. And I kind of buy into that. And, you know, if, if you were comfortable or, you know, you were going to those meetings from a young age, hopefully there were some teachers and administrators anyway that said, hey, wait a minute, we can't be just talking about her. It kind of goes back to that nothing about us without us philosophy. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm no stranger to bad teachers. I had them. I mean, my third grade teacher said, well, you're not going to have recess because you don't play like the other kids. Well, you know, that's an experience. I learned from it. My parents learned from it because I will be honest, there was an argument about it, about why my kid doesn't get recess. Believe me, there was something to be said. How's <laughs> <laughs> um, that? It's just, that's pure discrimination. And I had my I had to learn what that felt like. You, you can't hide your kid from that feeling because eventually it's going to come. And that's just the reality of life, whether you're disabled or not. That's, that's very true. I face it head on. It was never something I wanted to go through. And I don't think my parents did either. But it's kind of part of raising kids, teach yep. them how to deal with life lessons. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, I know you mentioned before we met today that you have some kind of particular passion areas within disability advocacy. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, probably my biggest hot topic that Mark Smith at RU said will yell at me if I don't say something <laughs> would be durable medical equipment access. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about wheelchairs, walkers, shower chairs. People don't realize how hard that is. They have no idea how hard it is to get a wheelchair, no idea how hard it is to get a shower chair, that there's even a process. I spent about a year and a half without a wheelchair, and that was during my first year with the USED. And because of COVID, I was fortunate enough to be virtual, so wheelchair didn't affect me as much. Nobody should ever go that long. Nobody, should ever, nobody should ever go 24 hours, nothing. I encountered so many barriers, getting a wheelchair, everything from my health insurance saying, well, I don't understand what the problem is. What do you need a chair for? And I want you to understand, you don't have to know anything about disability whatsoever. If someone says to you, I need a wheelchair, I have this diagnosis, that's all you need to know. Everything else, just, just. Keep your mouth shut, give them what they need, and move on. When you're told that as the person who needs the thing, how are you supposed to be respectful and all the things that you're taught? Because that's what they just said was not respectful to you. So I did a huge research project 
well, I say huge because the data and the information about durable medical equipment doesn't really exist. We don't talk about it. Mm. And I put it on a, a poster, which was very hard for me to do a poster. My brain is not set up to do academic posters, but I, I submitted it to source so Mike's seen it. <laughs> and I will hopefully yeah. get to do a continuing ed video later, but um, I continue the research now. Well, first of all, it has to be terribly frustrating. Um, I was having a problem with getting um, a replacement for a long white cane uh, a few weeks ago, and I had to do a lot of searching and finally found a place to do that. And But I still was fortunate enough to have an, a couple other ones that weren't in great shape, but I could at least use them. But something as essential as a wheelchair, if, if you don't have that, it gets pretty difficult to, to get around. And so once again, I really commend you for um, turning a really difficult situation into something that's going to benefit lots of other people by conducting uh, research. I think the way I always look at things that happen to me is that if it's happened to me, it happened to someone else. And they didn't have the skills, the desire, know-how to make the changes or to say something. So it's up to me to do so. It's great. Well, one of the other issues that you mentioned that was a passion of yours, uh, and you know, we've talked a little bit about education already, but in terms of people with disabilities accessing higher ed, is that something that's a big advocacy issue for you as well? Yeah, um, I'm in my fourth attempt to get a bachelor's degree, which sounds purely exhausting, and it is. I'm 35, and most, most of my peers have long completed a master's. And maybe PhDs if they wanted to, or at least in PhD school. Here I am still trying to get that bachelor's degree. And so I want you to understand what that does for me socially um, and connecting with others and getting jobs and all the things. But the reason I'm here, I've had multiple issues with really understanding. You know, they give you a list of accommodations you can receive in college, and I use them. But it's not the same as an IEP process. It will never be the same as sitting down in a resource classroom. It will never be the same as that one-on-one assistance from someone. So I always struggle. And uh, so I flunked out three times. I have huge issues with anxiety. Everything from testing to systems navigation causes me anxiety, directional anxiety. So navigating a college campus, again, that goes back to in K through 12 education. If you can't find a classroom, you have a teacher to ask who's in the hallway, who's seen you every day. But when you're at a college, who's, who are you going to ask? Some random stranger that you don't even know how to talk to because you aren't in the same social class as them? So those caused a lot of barriers for me. And so what do you think are some of the like ways that higher education can be more accessible to people with disabilities? I, I have a lot I could say there, but I think some of the main things would be we had individualized education plans for a reason because we needed individualized supports, education, all of that. When you go into higher ed, literally everybody gets basically the same set of accommodations. I can't tell you the number of students with disabilities in college who say, yeah, I get extended time on tests. It's the same thing for all of us. 
if you're in the, the realm of visually impaired, yeah, they get a screen reader. All the things are the same. That doesn't mean it was the same for them when they were in K through 12 education. So what did they do different? We need to recognize those differences, I guess, would be the big thing and being able to tailor the accommodations. I don't know that college is allowing you to do so. I'd also like to see a lot more flexibility with um, programs such as the first generation college student programs. Um, they're usually called TRIO or something along those lines. I found that those have barriers that they only help you through your freshman and sophomore year of college. And then they're just like, well, you should have figured it out. No, I, I just because I figured it out doesn't mean I don't need your support. Why do you just kick me out of the program? That's been an area that's bothered me. I've gotten kicked out of the programs many times. Can you tell us kind of more about the experience of being a USED trainee? It's a job for me, something many people with disabilities don't have. Um, that's why I applied, because I could get paid an hourly rate at a better wage than I would find anywhere. I get to do things that I like. I get to connect with people that understand what I deal with. I mean... If I wasn't in the you said, you guys wouldn't know me. It's true. So and we're glad we do. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed my time on SOAR and I don't really even know how I got there. I just did. So, um, you know, those, that's the thing about the you said or programs like that is it gives people like me opportunities we wouldn't have had. Can you tell us a little bit more about SOAR and the conference you all are planning? I'm probably going to butcher it, so I'm going to really try, and if I need help, Mike can help me. <laughs> I don't know if every day I fully understand what it is, but SOAR is a multi-state self-advocate conference. Um, I believe it's in its second year, and we have breakout sessions as well as, uh, I think the term is lead speakers or keynote speakers. Keynotes, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, I originally was asked to serve on the social media advertising committee. And I was like, that is not me. <laughs> no, no, can't do that. <laughs> and I, I originally said no. And uh, Don Francis, she, she, who's also on the planning committee, she said, no, no, we really need somebody like you. And I said, I have zero interest in social media advertising at all. And I said, is there any other committees? I mean, if you really need somebody, I'll squeeze something in. And she said, well, we have a planning committee. <laughs> and I said, okay, that sounds more like me. I can do that. And so that's how I got there. And can you remind me what does SOAR stand for? I don't think it stands for anything. It just Yeah, says, actually it does. Does it? It stands, I, for, I it stands for Seeking Opportunities for an Advocacy Revolution. I love that. I like. Would have completely not gotten that right because I couldn't remember. (laughs) And again, so for our listeners, this is a the four states are Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri. You got it. And the conference is uh, every other year. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Cool. And this conference will be September seventeenth through the nineteenth. It will be online, and it will also um, for registrants. It's going to be archived. Um, nice. So that's kind of a cool thing. The other thing about SOAR is actually a, an initiative of a, a larger project or program called the Heartland Self-Advocacy Resource Network. And Melanie, I don't know if you knew that because 
we've been so focused on SOAR that we haven't talked a lot about the HSRN, but that was a grant that we got a few years ago uh, for the four states to strengthen um, self-advocacy. And so one of the, the things that's going to happen after SOAR is that um, we, we are going to have breakout sessions at SOAR, but for those who didn't get selected, we're going to offer opportunities for them to do webinars. So um, cool. we're looking forward to continuing advocacy-related stuff after SOAR. So the HSRN becomes a living entity within our four states. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We'll put a link to the um, archived conference in the show notes. Great. I and mark your, mark your calendars, listeners, for fall 2023. Hopefully, you all will be able to have a, an in-person conference somewhere. Yes. My vote is either for um, Nebraska or Kansas, because Missouri and Iowa have had it now. So we need to, uh, we need to move it out west. We yeah. actually um, met one of Melanie's uh, coworkers, uh, colleagues, whatever, um, Kelly Ellerbush, who is with the Nebraska land. Um, has sort of been the point person. And when she went, she stepped aside at one of the Zoom meetings. And so we uh, nominated Nebraska to do 2023. But I don't know if Nebraska has has quite joined that uh, yeah. flow yet. So. <laughs> I wouldn't know, but we will see. And if they do, I'm sure I'll be involved. I hope so. Because so Melanie, um, one, of the, one of her many talents is um, plain language. Um, so one of the things that we've really tried to do is make this conference as accessible as possible. And I'm not sure, Melanie, if you were the person who originally brought it up, but anyway, it came to our attention that we really needed to get the language for all of the the breakout sessions and the keynotes and the conference itself into, uh, something that's readable and not academic. So talk a little bit about the, the, the work that you and our, um, co- partner in crime on the committee, Zach, um, did to clean up the language for SOAR? I don't know. For me, plain language, just people overthink things. We don't have to talk in academic terms. You don't do it when you go out to lunch with your friends. Why <laughs> Why do we have to do it all the time? And so it, it started with my just every time I'd get an email from someone and I'm like, I don't know what they just said. I And I read so many emails every day and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. And I can only ask questions on so many emails because I actually have to get work done. And um, so when I was, when I've been involved with SOAR, all of a sudden I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know that self-advocates know that they can submit their own topics to this. And it was because I didn't notice that. If I didn't notice that, who else didn't notice that? So I think that's kind of how I brought it up. And um, so we've been looking at like, you know, um, the schedule of how it's laid out. Does is it under, easy to understand? Um, bios of speakers. Can people understand what they mean? And I'll be honest, some of that stuff's challenging. Like, how do you break down what somebody went to college for into <laughs> a readable term? I don't, and I've really not done a whole lot with, I guess, quote unquote, translating documents or anything. But I guess when I do it, I put in words that I would recognize because if I'm going to recognize them, somebody else will too. That's just how I do it. Well, I wanted to ask Mel one quick question before we wrap up. And I know Caitlin, one of us, we, we also have one additional question, but 
this is sort of a shameless plug too. So Mel, um, you mentioned um, when we were, um, I guess, emailing before the podcast that you really had a passion for independent living and Ed Roberts and Judy Human. Um, yeah, we're very fortunate in Iowa that Judy Human is going to be coming um, in late October for a visit, or at least that's the plan. Although with COVID on the rise, who knows what's going to happen? But um, is there anything in particular that that attracted you to? I mean, the, for people who don't know, these are big names and people who really started the the independent living movement and moving toward a, a social model and a you know re, or an empowerment model rather than the medical model of disability. So, how did you get? Um, how did you find out about them, and why do they speak to you? Um, well, I found out about Ed Roberts because uh, and Ed and Judy Human because of my partners in policymaking. Oh, work. sure, yeah. But I think you kind of spoke to directly why they interest me and why I'm I'm passionate about who these people are. People don't know them. We don't get taught that in higher education. You know how many friends I have that have no idea there was a civil rights movement around my life? So when I'm out in public and people say things that are just so not appropriate, like, I don't know, well, that place is fully accessible once you get past the first couple of steps. And I just, you know, those are types of statements people make and you're like, no. And I think of people like Ed Roberts and Judy Human who would say so much more than me just saying, well, no, that's not right. You know, they would make something of that, make an example of these places and, and processes that are not inclusive. We don't have leaders like that anymore. And that's just, that's something that um, sits with me is that we don't have. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you're a pretty fierce leader um, in, in, in that (laughs) spirit. So I think. Give yourself a little more credit there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Mel, a question that we, that we like to wrap up with is asking people, what, what, what would you like your legacy to be? Um, I never gave up. Well, that was quick and succinct yeah. into the Literally, point. I never give up. <laughs> it's, it's in fact, the way my parents raised me is if they wanted me to do something, I, they would say, well, you can't do that. And I would go do it. it drove me crazy that they said i couldn't like you can't make your own bed well yes i can (laughs) you know you can't fold your laundry yeah i can't well look my parents just got me to do all my chores because they said i couldn't (laughs) as a parent i'm gonna maybe uh i'll I'll put that trick in my back pocket for when my kids get older (laughs) yeah i was gonna say caitlin's got a two-year-old you know he's a smart little guy he might that might work already Uh, Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) I'll test it out tonight. There you go. (laughs) Well, Mel, it was so nice talking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to talk with Mike and I. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yes, thank you. And we also (laughs) want to thank our loyal podcast followers. Thank you for listening and tune in again next time when we'll have another engaging guest for Disability Exchange. Thanks, all. Thank you for joining us today on Disability Exchange. Disability Exchange is produced by the University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, which is housed at the Center for Disabilities and Development at the University of Iowa. Special thanks to Kyle Delvaux for the music contribution.